might be soon. Like the first one, uh, sooner or later, be sooner than you think. How about the book of Nehemiah again tonight? Book of Nehemiah in chapter number two. You don't have to go far on it, brother. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter two. And when you find your place, you can stand. Bible says here, <clears throat> excuse me, in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 1, and it came to pass in the month Nisan, uh, must have been cars back then, huh? <laughs> in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart, then I was very sore afraid. And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah and unto the city of my father's sepulchres that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also was sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the rivers and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanbal the Horonite and Tobiah the servant uh, the Ammonite heard of it. It grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Brother Chuck, why don't you pray and ask the Lord's blessing and preaching. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. <clears throat> now you know the narrative. Most of you know the story. The narrative. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. And being the king's cupbearer, uh, like we said this morning, kind of a, one of those type of jobs that it's uh, an elevated position, but it could be a temporary position if someone's, if someone's out to get the king. So whatever he was a drinking, you were drinking it first. And if there's a plot to assassinate the king, uh, well... <laughs> Uh, you intercepted the message, and when you dropped over dead, you fulfilled your role. 
Amen. But he was the king's cupbearer. And the reason Nehemiah, as you know, he's uh, scared uh, per se. Uh, he was concerned when the king asked him if he was upset or depressed or however you look at that thing is because those eastern kings, you didn't dare show up in front of the king depressed. It'd be like off with your head. <laughs> but besides the historical narrative, which is absolute truth, amen, absolute truth, what we see uh, Nehemiah doing here is he's getting the go-ahead from the king to do something that God wants him to do. And uh, every, every man that's <clears throat> ever trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior is right now in the process of building a life. You're building a life for Jesus Christ. This very moment, you're in the building process. You don't wait till you get home to build. You don't wait till tomorrow to build. You're building a life for Jesus Christ even at this very moment. It's important in that life uh, that ministry, as we know, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And you and I are building a life that will please God. Uh, you're building a life that will serve your family. That's the second life. And you're building a life that will serve the Lord through the local church. So for a Christian to say that he doesn't have a life, uh, he's out of his mind. At the least, you have three lives. This isn't a video game or nothing, amen. <laughs> but one feller said uh, he thought he was so pathetic, he said uh, he was going to get a hold of Life Alert so that when he finally got a life, he would let everybody know about it. But you have a life today, and that's supposed to be pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And those other two, you have a life that's supposed to be serving your family. That's funny, amen. I stole that from somewhere, I don't know. I'm sure when you all made it up, you know. And then, of course, that last life is supposed to be serving the Lord through the local church, not in any particular order except the Lord comes first. Amen? Now, since God deals with us as sons, aren't you glad? He deals with us as sons. He gives us a unique privilege to do something for us, for Him, rather. And then He turns around and He rewards us for doing what we couldn't have done without Him. That's the most interesting thing I ever thought of. So here in Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah has been sitting in the school of delay. That's what we preached about this morning. And he's been sitting in the school of delay, uh, giving the Lord time to deal with him and deal with his heart and deal with the habitat that's all around him. But in our text today, I want you to see the necessary preparation and the necessary equipment needed to get going in the work that God is calling you to do. Now, if you, don't, if you won't prepare... And if you won't prepare right now, and if you won't prepare every moment that you're cognizant or, uh, you know, awake, you'll get frustrated. Not only will you get frustrated, but you'll get fearful that you're getting left behind. And then you'll start fighting with the brethren because you never did account for so much time to take place for God to prepare you. And that's frustrated ambition. Now, in the work of God, it, it's not fast at all. Amen? Now, if you've hung around here, I hate to say it like that, for any amount of time, the work of God ain't fast, and the work of God ain't easy. Anyone tries to sell you a bill of goods that the work of God is fast and easy, they're liars. I'd go the other way. But it's not fast, and it's not easy. <clears throat> and if you're going to do work for God, you're going to find some great preparation and some great equipment right in this chapter right here. Verses 1 to 10, 
That's what I want to preach about real quick here tonight. First thing I see here in the text, as far as preparation and equipment throughout the first 11 verses, I see here in verse 4, that if you're going to build a life for Jesus Christ, you're going to need some prayer. Amen? I know it sounds so simple. We preached this morning, the first thing is you need to be, it needs to commence with routine duty, but here in the chapter, chapter number 2 and verse 4, you're going to need some prayer. Verse 4, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now there's a fellow that knows his own heart. Now if you're a king and you ask me what I make requests, it'd probably be the most ridiculous thing if I hadn't prayed about it. Amen. I'd be like, well, since you're asking, and since you have the checkbook out, king, let me tell you exactly. As one feller said, there ain't nothing that $6 million and a bunch of chocolate won't fix. Amen. But uh, Nehemiah, he was... Uh, he was uh, close to the Lord. So he said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now you need to notice that sometimes that prayer in verse 4, it's going to have to be on the spot, isn't it? That's an on the spot prayer. They call that a Nehemiah prayer. <laughs> it's not a Hail Mary. <laughs> it's a Nehemiah prayer. I mean, you're asked on the spot, and you know what sometimes you just got to do? He said, oh, Lord. <laughs> right? That's a Nehemiah prayer. But if you remember back from this morning, chapter 1 and verse 4, sometimes that prayer it lasts certain days. So you, you're going to need some prayer if you're going to build a life for Jesus Christ, if you're going to build a life that's going to stand the test of time. The preparation that you need, you're going to need some prayer. Now notice this here in verse 5, that prayer gives a man boldness to speak. You see that? Verse number 5. He gets done praying. He said, if it please the king. Now you learn to pray, and you pray on the spot, the Lord will give you boldness through your prayer life. Prayer gives a man boldness to speak. Not only that, in verse 5, I see prayer gives a man his bearings. His bearings. Notice what it says. If it please the king, and if I serve, and if I found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah. So the king asks him, he prays immediately, he knows what the Lord wants him to do in that matter. It'll give you boldness to speak. It'll give you bearings and direction. Not only that, but look at verse 8. A man given to prayer, it'll give him some blessings. Verse number 8, the Bible says, And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Now listen, uh, that one hymn says, What a friend we have in Jesus. We miss all the blessings many times because we don't pray. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And it doesn't always have to be a Martin Luther first four hours of the day, but you can start with the first four minutes of the day. And if you spend time with it, if you cultivate it, it'll take a little bit more time. And if you spend time with it and you build a relationship with the Lord, you'll be a little bit more comfortable, if I might say it that way, when you talk to the Lord. Amen? You think about a child when he first talks, it's mama or dad, dad, or, you know, whatever it is, liberty, liberty, right? No, just kidding. Uh, but when... <laughs> Y'all bad. You watch TV, see what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and you start talking, and you, and you hear people pray, and it's not a judgmental thing, but you can kind of tell where they're at in their prayer life many times by how they talk. And sometimes when you pray, you sound like a child, and there's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes you pray, and I've heard some people pray that I thought were spiritual children, but, man, it's like the Lord is right there. And it's like he's sitting on the Lord's lap. That's how close it seemed, Amen. But it'll give you boldness, it'll give you your bearings, <clears throat> and it'll give you some blessings. Now you need to remember, you're going to need some prayer. You can't go through this week, 
you can't go through tonight without taking time to dip your head and pray. It should be the last thing you do. It should be a quick one. Amen? Uh, I mean, if you're, oh, you know, I'm going to have a, a prayer meeting before I go to bed. I'm like, good night, Lord. I'm out. Thanks for keeping me, uh, you know, above ground. Amen? I'm not trying to be irreverent, but I'm saying the last thing you should do is thank the Lord for the day. And you're going to need some prayer. Not only that, look here, verse 5. Uh, you're going to need some prayer. And then number two, you're going to need some permission. Remember, we're talking about building a life and building a work for God. Verse 5, notice that verse says, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. Listen, in the Christian life, you're going to do something for the Lord, you need permission. That's one of the first things your parents should have told you. You need permission to do what you think you should be doing. <laughs> Amen. In school, they used to teach you to ask before you got out of your seat. In school, they used to teach you to raise your hand before you spoke. And now it's just absolute chaos. But you're going to need some permission. You say, why in the world do you think I need permission? See what I mean? You don't have the right attitude yet. You need permission. Uh, first thing you've got to do when you remember building a life and doing a work for God, you should never, ever mistake a burden for a calling. Never, ever mistake a burden for a calling. Everyone in here should have burdens. But everyone here ain't called to preach and everyone here ain't called to mission field. And you know the sad thing and sad state of our day is most of us don't even know what the difference is. I'm not getting after you. I'm just saying I'm trying to help you, preach to you, and teach at the same time. Never mistake a burden, a calling for a burden. I remember back, I was thinking about, probably about 2000, back at our home church there in Lupton. Uh, this family come through, and they're friends of, of my wife's family, and, you know, do this and do that, and, you know, just a bunch of good old boys, you know, never mean no harm and all that stuff, and Went to church downstate, went to church up here, in this cabin here, in this house here. Next thing you know, they're called to the mission field. Well, praise the Lord and pass the chicken, amen. Everyone gets on the bandwagon, and they go around, raise a bunch of support. But God's people threw a bunch of money at them, got them all the way over to Africa or wherever the fire they went to. They're back within a year. You say, why you say that? Never mistake a burden for a calling. You better make sure you're sent before you go make a mess in the shallow end of the pool, amen? You're going to mess that thing up. I say you need permission. You're going to need some prayer and you're going to need some permission. I say the same thing about some men I've known through the years. Uh, they think they're called to pastor. And one fellow says he's called to preach and he's called to this and he's called to that. And that fellow, he's, uh, he's, he's screwing a corkscrew, man. He won't even stay one place more than 18 months. You say, what about it? He goes around blowing places up and blowing churches up. He goes in there and, listen, just, you can, just because you think you can preach doesn't mean you can feed sheep. You might preach a great message about God's love and grace at Calvary. Go preach that down on the street or go preach it in the prison. But those sheep have got to eat Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You better not mistake a burden for a calling. I don't know who needs to hear this, but it's, 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 in, it's right there. <laughs> I'm looking at it. <laughs> Amen. You say, who are you mad at? Nobody. I love y'all. But you cannot mistake a burden for a calling. And not, not only that, but never mistake a calling for a career. 
God deals with your heart about the mission field. God deals with your heart about preaching or whatever. That ain't your occupation. Never mistake a calling for a career. You might have to work another job, but your occupation is never your calling when it's a ministerial place. All right? Is this making sense tonight? Never mistake a burden for a calling and never mistake a calling for a career. Listen, if you are going to serve the Lord full time, we are not for hire. I am not for sale. If a church across the way offer me $100,000, I ain't going. We say, you better watch your mouth. You watch your mouth. I've already had them offer it. Not 100, but 70. You say, you want, are you kidding me? I miss the greatest group in the world right here to preach to Sunday morning and Sunday night. Amen? Can you imagine me and my big mouth going over to some place? Amen? About 300 people. Oh, my soul. You talk about clearing it out. About the first time I throw a pop culture reference out there about Wreck-It Ralph and Bob the Builder. <gasps> God forbid you say the R word, you know, Ruckman or something like that. But y'all are the greatest people in the world to preach to. Now back to the text here this morning. Now be sure enough, you need to be sent by the king. You need permission, amen? You need to remember that. You think you're going to do something for God besides routine duty, you need permission. And say, what are you going to give me? I'm not going to give you permission. You Don't consult me on what you need to do for the Lord unless I can pray for you. But look at the text, verse 5. Notice what Nehemiah says. He says, send me. And then once you go ahead and get permission, go ahead in verse 7 and go ahead and get it in writing. You see it? He got permission and then he got it in writing. Oh, preacher, you're going to, Lord, go write me a note. He did write you a long note right here. I'm just saying you need some prayer, you need some permission, and you need to get that thing in writing. And here it is, right in writing. God's going to call you to do something uh, in the ministry, mission field, uh, so forth and so on. Uh, you need to get it in writing. What does that mean? That means you need to have God's word on it. Now listen, you never go on your word, amen? You never go on mama's word. You never go on your wife's word. <laughs> you never go on your husband's word. You got to have God's word on it. If you consider the best way to do business in this world is what? In writing. People won't do business with you in this world unless it's in writing, unless they're uh, shaky, unless they're questionable. Some people don't want things in writing because that's just who they're. they're oh, well, we want to do it the old-fashioned way. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, that means uh, that little fish logo on your van means when you're done taking it to me, then I got to forgive you, amen? <laughs> that's all that means. But you need to get it in writing. You need God's word on it. And the best way to do business uh, with somebody in this world is in writing. That's contractual. And so the best way to do God's business is in writing. You need to have his word on it. I hope this is helping tonight. I'm not trying to run a rant or uh, get on a soapbox. But it is what it is. So you need some prayer to build a life. You need some permission. You're going to do something for the Lord. And how about this one? You're going to need some pressure in verse 6. Verse 6, the Bible says, For how long shall thy journey be? And when, when wilt thou return? Well, good questions the king's asking. Uh, so it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Now, some people, they believe God wants them to 
you know, have the plant water ministry and this kind of ministry and the plant, you know, the weed pulling ministry, and next thing you never see them again. And they think that just because God wants them to do this or that or the other, or the pastor's wife or the pastor asks them to do something, well, hey, you know, I'm a free bird. See you later. I'm going to go minister all over the world. No, you ain't. But you're going to need some pressure. Now, listen, the pressures of life will always be there, won't they? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, the pressures of life are always going to be there. I hope this helps you. He said, I hope the older I get, the easier it gets. Well, enjoy your youth. <laughs> because it gets harder. You say, well, you're sounding discouraging. No, but the tests get harder. We preach partway through Joshua. The fighting gets harder, but your faith should be growing stronger. All right, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Paul says, besides those things that are without, that's the pressures of life, right? That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now, the pressures of life will always be there. You're going to have to get up. You're going to have to deal with the workplace. You're going to have to deal with your spouse. You're going to have to deal with your family. It never goes away. That's the pressure of life. But you know what? You need the pressure of this thing called time always enveloping you. Think about that just for a minute. I want to put some more pressure on you because you don't have enough. <laughs> this pressure of a thing called time, look at verse 6. Uh, he says, I set him a time. You see that? A time's your enemy. Time is your enemy. Uh, if you kill time, it'll kill you. You need to remember that. If you kill time, it'll kill you. If you redeem the time, right? Ephesians chapter 5, 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. If you redeem the time, it'll bless you and make you wiser for it. Amen? Redeeming the time will give you wisdom. That's Colossians 4, 5. What did Paul say in Philippians 3, 14? He said, I press, I press, there's the pressure, I press toward the mark for the prize for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I put the pressure, you need some pressure. If you're going to do work for God, you need some pressure. You need the right type of pressure. And you know, Paul put a lot of pressure on himself. First of all, he put pressure on himself because he knew his time was short. He knew it was short. He knew he wasn't going to be around forever. And uh, the younger you are, you often think you got all the time in the world, but you don't. You don't. Time, I mean, you'll blink and you'll be 30. You'll blink and you'll be 35. You'll blink and you'll be 45. Just like that, gone. And you look back and you know what you realize? The days of strength are gone. And now everything you do is going to take a little bit more audio. And you're a little bit more set in your ways. I'm saying you need the pressure of time always enveloping you. Paul put pressure on himself because he knew his time was short. 2 Thessalonians 2.2, 2, he says the day of Christ is at hand. It's sooner now than ever has been. We're closer to going home to heaven. It could be tonight. be a blessing, but I'm telling you what, if it is tonight, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ? That's the next thing. Paul put pressure on himself because he knew the judgment seat of Christ was approaching. What's he say over there in 2 Corinthians 5.11? He says, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord... We persuade men. Are you persuading men? The terror of the Lord has to do with the judgment seat of Christ. It doesn't have to do with hell. You need pressure. Paul put pressure on himself because he wanted to please the Lord. That's 2 Timothy 2.4, that he may please him who called him to be a soldier. So you need this thing called pressure. 
pressure. You know, pressure is not easy. The word pressure, it just sounds difficult. It's not pretty. It's not easy. Uh, uh, pressure is not fun. Um, I don't know if you ever took time to study the metamorphosis process. It's an interesting thing. It's just a miracle is what it is. Amen? And, uh, you know, what that, what, I already forgot the four stages, but whatever that little pupa or pupa thing does, and it turns, eventually, that's like the second or third, right? Egg, larva, pupa or pupa or whatever it is there. <laughs> and then butterfly, right? You ever find the, the cocoons? Like, oh, right? And then you see this beautiful, bar, you, ever, you know how it got there? Pressure! You ever stop and think about that last process? Now, the cool process is like the very first stage, the egg and then the larva. The larva is the coolest stage because you just get to go eat everything. And it grows a thousand times its size in the larva stage. What a cool stage of life, amen? What's my job? I'm going to go eat everything. I mean, that's my type of Christianity, amen? Just go devour everything. Amen, devour preaching, devour Bible reading, devour prayer, devour serving the Lord. But notice the very last stage of its life is the most difficult. And it takes a lot of pressure for that pupa to become a butterfly. And, uh, and therefore, it's not helpful to assist a struggling butterfly out of its chrysalis or cocoon. And it's quite interesting, actually, when you look at it, to study it and to know why. Uh, butterflies, as it turns out, they release a chemical when they're getting out of their chrysalis, or chrysalis, however you say that thing, a chemical that strengthens their wings. Their movements inside the chrysalis pump fluid into their wings, which help the wings to expand. And so, therefore, their Houdini-like escape, it helps build necessary muscles to do all the things related to being a butterfly. Plus, the timing of their emergence from the chrysalis is key. Too early, and they're doomed. Too late, and they're doomed because they won't have developed enough or they sat too long and didn't get out when they should have. So if a well-meaning human tries to interfere with the, the butterfly process <laughs> and it's struggle, because when that butterfly tries to get out, it's an absolute struggle, and I, I just read a couple different things, and some say that they go through a lot of pain in that final process. But if you mess with that, it'll likely doom the butterfly to weak wings and lack of development. Let me say this. Christian pressure is the necessary key to your Christian development. We pray, Lord, give me a good this, give me a good that. Let me have a good this and a good that. But you know what the Lord knows? Oh, you need some pressure today. I'm turning into the most beautiful monarch butterfly that ever flitted and fluttered around. No, I don't think it's a butterfly. <laughs> That's, yeah. That's Beelzebub. <laughs> it was almost a magnificent moment, wasn't it? <laughs> He's like, oh, look, it's a butterfly. <laughs> nope, it's January. No butterflies in January. So you're going to need some pressure, amen. <laughs> Let me give you number four here tonight. Not only pressure, but you're going to need some provisions. Uh, verse number 8, notice what Nehemiah says. He says, to give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. You're going to need some provisions if you're going to build a life for the Lord. And never forget old Hudson Taylor. He's a, a good soul. 
He said this God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. That's something worth thinking about. You're going to need some provisions. And you're going to need some provisions. You're going to need some physical and financial provisions. Amen. Listen, in your Christian life, don't let anybody fool you, you're going to need some physical and financial provisions. Uh, first of all, so you can take care of your bills. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't have bills. But Philippians 4.19 says he'll supply all your need, right? So you're going to need some provisions to do what God wants you to do. Now that, you're going to need some provisions so you can be a good testimony. Because if you don't pay your bills, uh, you're going to make a mess. You're going to make a mess. Hebrews 13.5, uh, or 6 and 7, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You know, old preacher Lynch, you know what he said? He said this. He said, you only need so much money to live on, and the rest is for showing off. <laughs> but you're going to need some provisions in the Christian life. You are. Listen, every, all the financial provisions you have, they don't go to the church. You've got to take care of your family. Amen? You've got to take care of your bills. You're going to need not only some physical and financial provisions, but how this, you're going to need some family provisions. Like there's a difference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one pays the bills. One keeps everyone smiling. <laughs> You're going to need some family provisions. You say, why? Well, 1 Peter 3, 7, so you can take care of your wife, men, right? Then that Bible says you're supposed to dwell with them according to knowledge. You're going to have to take her out every once in a while. Well, not like take her out, but... <laughs> The English language is a killer. Ha, no pun intended. <laughs> but you're going to have to take her out to, to eat every once in a while. Your pastor's saying that. I never heard this. I never heard this for 20-some years. You're going to have to take your wife out every once in a while and let her know you love her. You want to take care of your family? You want to build a life for Jesus Christ? You're going to have to ha ask God to give you some provisions so you can take her out every once in a while. That's not spiritual. Shut up, stupid. It sure is. You like a happy household? Take her out, everyone. Not McDonald's. <laughs> Take your wife to McDonald's. We got, we got a council, brother. <laughs> well, there might be an exception there, brother. But <laughs> How about this one? You need to, you're going to need some family provisions so you can take care of your young'uns, Right? Bible says over in Colossians 3.21, look at that with me now. You're building a life for Jesus Christ. And just because you're building a life for Jesus Christ never, ever means that you ignore your spouse or your children. They come with you. 3.21, Bible says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Amen? Now every dad who's got any red blood going through him has probably discouraged his boys or his girls at some point in time in life. But you shouldn't make it a habit. And you're going to have to use some wisdom and ask God for some provisions and spend some time with them youngins. Amen? You only got one family. That's it. And I'm not the poster child of the family, but I sure do love mine. Well, you're going to need some family provisions so you can take care of your wife. It is important. 
so you can take care of your youngins. And how about this? So your family don't get bitter along the way. I know this isn't good English, but this is good. This is good stuff. So your family don't get bitter along the way. There's a song in our hymn book. There's joy in serving Jesus. Is there? Now look, sometimes service can tire us out, right? But man, there should be joy in it somewhere. If you, if you don't have joy in serving Jesus, then you're just, you're just Martha, amen? You're just like, nobody's doing what I'm doing, amen? So you have to have some family provisions, and I'm telling you what, if you're building a life for Jesus Christ, you're going to have to remember that stuff, and you're going to have to stop and take the time to take care of the things that are important, like your family, like your wife, like your husband, like your children, and so they don't get bitter. What good is it if you're just this glowing star for Jesus Christ and your family shot right out the back of the tailpipe? Amen. <laughs> Amen. From the back row, even. Well, you're going to need some physical, financial provisions, some family provisions. How about this? I'll give you number five. You're going to need some protections. Some protections in verse 9. Now, we're talking about what we need to build a life for Jesus Christ, preparation and equipment. We're going to need these things to get the job done. Now here in verse 9, the Bible says, Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. That's a blessing. God calls you to do something. God wants you to do something. He will provide, but you're going to need some protection. Now, here's the thing. We preached about this through Joshua, and I apologize for stopping right in the middle of where we're at, but there's a reason for it. But just like we've already preached, you're going to need some protection. But if you want protection, guess what? You cannot lag behind. Now, I'm going somewhere. You cannot lag behind me if you want protection. God's going to protect you. God's going to give you some protections in building your life, but you cannot lag behind. And you know, uh, we've already preached this, but Reuben, Gad, Manasseh, they lagged behind in Numbers 32 and Joshua 22. And by consequence, the Assyrians got to them first in 1 Chronicles chapter 5 and took them out first. You can't lag behind. Old preacher would say this, you got to keep up with the column. Catch up with the column. Man in the Christian life, we just need to catch up with the column. You got to catch up. Old James Fenimore Cooper wrote that uh, novel, Last of the Mohicans, and Hollywood destroyed it. But anyways, he wrote a, a pretty thrilling novel. He wrote uh, five of them, actually, and uh, the Somerset series, I think it's called. But anyways, and uh, a lot of people hate him, but I thought it was pretty good. And uh, it talks about the attack on Fort William Henry in 1787. And, uh, the thing that was so horrific about the attack at Fort William Henry is all the women and the children were, were spread out way away from the soldiers. And so those Huron Indians surrounded them and take their babies and bash their heads up against trees and cut the throats of the women and just shredded them. You say, why? They should have caught up with the column. They spread out too far. You can't lag behind. You want protection, you got to stay up with the rest. There's protection in the column. Well, not only that, you can't lag behind, and if you want protection, you can't run ahead. See what I mean? You've got to say right, balance, right in the middle. Now, you know Moses. He ran ahead of God. 
and he got 40 years in the backside of the Midianite desert, right? He did two life sentences. Think about it, for killing one man. See, God, you say, God uses a murder. You better believe it. He served two life sentences on the backside of the desert for what he did trying to get ahead of God. Moses knew that he was going to be leader. Moses knew he was going to be a judge over those people, but he got ahead of God. It cost him 40 years out of fellowship. You ever stop and think about it that way? Don't, don't get ahead of God. Abraham ran ahead of God, cost him a wild, wild, crazy son. Wild, his hand will be against every man. And 13 years out of fellowship with Jehovah God. God didn't speak to Abraham for 13 years in that Bible. And you find that in Genesis 17 and verse 1. When you connect it with the last verse of 16 and the first verse of 17, that's 13 years. Well, Paul got ahead of God. He kept saying, don't go to the Jews, don't do this. He kept going, kept going, kept going. And so what did the Lord do? He said, okay, have it your way. Whop, slopped him in a prison cell at least two, three years. I'm not criticizing Paul, greatest Christian in the New Testament, but don't get ahead of God. You might be looking at some downtime you didn't plan for. You say, why did you do that? I don't know, a couple of reasons. So you and I could get the prison epistles, amen. But how about maybe just to slow them down a little bit? Got just a little bit ahead. Jacob got ahead of God back in Genesis 27, 19. And man, I'll tell you what, his family, it turned into a reality-style family show that played the tune to Days of Our Lives and Jerry Springer Live. You see what I mean? That's what happens when you get ahead of God. You want protection, you can't lag behind, and you can't get ahead. You got to stay right in the center of where God wants you. That's balanced. A lot of people these days, uh, uh, they're loners. Amen? Now, look, God creates individuals, and he develops you on the backside of the desert. He doesn't create robots, but he, he doesn't expect you to be a loner lagging behind where everyone can feel sorry for how you got it. And they don't expect you to be a one-man wonder running way out in front of the column because you're going to get picked off first. All right, now, you're going to need some protection, and God's going to give it to you if you let him. Now, let me give you this last one here. Uh, right preparation equipment, you're going to need uh, not only some protection, but uh, I hate to say it, you're going to need some problems. <laughs> Look at verse 10. And here the problems show up. You're very familiar with this passage of Scripture. The Bible says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly. Now, according to this text right here, you notice the problems are people, right? And that's verse 10. And these problems in verse 19, they're going to cause you some pain. See it? They despised us. I don't care how tough you are when someone despises you for what you do for the Lord. It's painful. I run into people all the time. It's painful running into people because they don't want nothing to do with me. They don't want to do with this church. They don't want to do with the preaching. They, it's just painful. That's a problem. And problems cause pain. But notice here in verse 20, these problems, they serve a purpose. Verse 20, the Bible says, You have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. You say, Preacher, I don't see it. What's the purpose? Well, first of all, the purpose is to please God. All those problems you go through, they should be able to help you please God more and more. That's Revelation 4.11. The purpose here is to test your persistency in the work. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6. The purpose of the problem, the purpose of the pain, 
is to check your persistency in the work. Are they passing the test? They are in Nehemiah 4 or 6, for they had a mind to work. You know, success is not uh, determined by what you accomplish. Success is often determined by what it takes to stop you. You ever stop and think, what did it take to stop me from pleasing the Lord this week? That's the measure of all things. The purpose is to please God, to test your persistency of the work. And finally, the, te- the purpose is to prove you, prove you in the work. I'll look over at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. God lets problems pop up. And this really parallels with pressure because pressure is on the hinge of problems. And you're going to need some problems to get the work of God done. Deuteronomy chapter number 8, look at verse 2. Now this stuff is done to prove you and I in the work. Bible says here in verse 2, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee. Ain't that something? All the way. Not just the good times, but the bad times too. Uh, These 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, and there it is, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. You know what those problems do? They prove us. You say, I don't think it's very fair. I know you don't think it's fair, but you and I need to be proved. Remember as a kid on the playground, prove it! (laughs) That's what you'd say. I I, I, I ought to sleep over with a hundred people. You're like, prove it! You know what the Lord's doing? He's proving us. You really want to do work? You really want to serve me? All right, here's a few problems because I know you need the pressure. Here's a problem. Those problems show up in the form of people. They cause pain. And this is the purpose. I'm just trying to prove you to see if you're serious. And you're going to come forth a vessel for the finer. Now listen, Christian, as we bring this thing down, shut it up. Preparation is pivotal. It is. If you don't prepare, you won't do anything for Jesus Christ. Not only is it pivotal, if you want to run peas on that thing, it's paramount. It's the most important thing you can be doing. It's probably the most important thing you can be doing in the Christian life after salvation. The old slogan of the golden arches is, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Are you preparing? Are you asking God for the right equipment to do what he wants you to do? You and I need the right preparation equipment to build a life that will last and come out through the other side of the judgment seat of Christ. I want to ask you some questions. Are you preparing? Are you seeking? Are you following his plan? How about this? Are you praying? Do you know that what you're doing is what God wants you to do? Do you have his permission on it? Oh, yeah. I've got liberty. You got it in writing? Are you putting pressure on yourself for eternity? That's one of the hardest things right there is putting pressure on yourself for eternity. You know you've got family that are lost. You know you've got neighbors that are lost. You know you've got coworkers that are lost. Are you putting pressure on yourself? Because the time's short, the time's short, the time's short. By the time I'm done running my gums tonight, we'll be that closer to going home. Is God providing? You say, well, I'll tell you what, preacher. If he is, I sure ain't seeing it. Well, you know what you need to do? Don't move an inch until you see his provisions. You see what I mean? 
I don't know if I'm in the will of God. Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Oh, yeah, preacher, I'm routine duty all the way, but I, he doesn't seem to be providing what I want to Then don't go anywhere else. Stay put. Are you protected? Are you protected tonight? Maybe lagging behind? Maybe tempted by getting ahead? Are you persevering through the problems? Well, you will if you set your heart to prepare and have the equipment that God wants you to have. It would behoove us all before your head hits the pillow tonight to take time and get a hold of God and make sure you have exactly what you need for this Christian life. All right, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a perfect book. But Father, you've been so good to us. You've given us everything we need. And Father, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to continue to prepare. Now, Lord, we see that David prepared his entire life for the building of the temple, and then his son came through behind him and built it. Father, help us to prepare our life for you, whether we can see what we're supposed to do or not. Father, I pray you give us the right equipment. Father, I pray you help us to spend time in prayer this week and ask the right questions. Father, I pray you help us to please you with every step and everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Would you bless your people? In your name, amen.